This morning we turn to Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Faithful and true are the words of God. Last Sunday, if you were here, you might remember we were reading from chapter 23 of the book of Job, and Job was in a dark place. He's been suffering. He's endured such heartache and tragedy. His friends have basically been blaming him, saying, you must have done something wrong. But Job is railing against God and wants to talk to God, has some questions for God. But in the chapter we read last week, he found nothing but darkness. He was in a desperate and dark place. But now finally, all these chapters later, in chapter 38, God finally makes an appearance. After we've read through 37 chapters of turmoil and toil and debate and discussion, And this desperation that we sense Job is enduring, this suffering, finally God speaks. But as so often is the case in the scriptures, they tell us that God speaks to us out of the cloud or through the fire. This time it's through a whirlwind. But then if we're reading quickly through the scriptures, all of a sudden it sounds like that these Bible characters are hearing a human voice as they tell us what God says. But let me just caution you, if you've never heard God speak to you in a human voice, the Scriptures are saying that humans have to interpret. We have to be listening. That God may come to us through nature or another way, but it takes some human interpretation and discernment to understand what God might be saying to us. Let's look at this text carefully. God comes to Job in a whirlwind, it says. But remember, Job has been searching for God. Job has been seeking God. Job maybe has been yelling at God to come, face me, let's have this out, let's have this discussion. Job has been asking lots and lots of questions throughout this whole book. And then finally, what he's been hoping for, maybe you could even say praying for, happens. But it's not perhaps what Job was expecting. It's not a direct answer to his question. It's more questions. Job has been asking questions. Now it is God's turn to ask God begins to question Job at the beginning of this chapter when the Lord it says answered Job out of the whirlwind who is this 
that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. That's what Job has been hoping for, to hear God's voice throughout this saga. But now here come the questions. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? God is asking some important questions about where were you at the beginning? What do you know about how all of creation happened? As I was reading through this this week, it reminded me of my high school journalism class. You remember the five W's? Took journalism, and our teacher told us we were to be reporters. We were to cover all the school news. Our class was responsible for that year. But she said, in every story you write, you need these five W's, who, where, when, what, and why. You got to answer all those questions to write a complete story. She said, then we're going to collect all those stories, and at the end of the year, it will become the yearbook. You all will be the ones who do that reporting, who ask the questions and get the answers. I've read before that you can trace a summary of these five W's back to a book called The Art of Rhetoric, written all the way back in the 1500s. Some say that's where the question started, but if they read Job, they would know, oh no, it started way before the 1500s, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years before Christ, somebody was asking who, where, what, when, and why. God is posing questions to Job that he cannot answer. Four, verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Of course, Job is silent. He's probably thinking, I didn't exist. I don't know. God goes on in verse 5, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Job has been kind of all puffed up during the earlier chapters of the book. He's ready to take God on, he thinks. But then when God actually makes an appearance, God has some questions for Job. And Job begins to take a step back, to be pretty quiet, because God's asking questions about the beginning of creation. God is expanding the context of the whole discussion. In life, we face questions we cannot answer. Questions like, Job, why so much suffering? Or really more poignantly, why am I suffering? Why am I going through heartache? Why is this happening to me? What you notice is that when Job is asking questions, It's shrinking the focus ever more on himself. It's shrinking the circle 
of his concern. When God asks questions, it does something different. God expands the context. God is not asking just about one individual out of everybody. God is asking about the why of all creation. Why is there something rather than nothing? How did it all begin? Who started it? Do you know? You can hear the sarcasm in these speeches from God saying to Job, Oh, surely you know. You've already said earlier in all your speeches that you're ready to take on God. So tell me about things that God knows about. Tell me what you know about the beginning of all creation. It gets pretty quiet. When Job faces these questions, the book of Job seems to be saying, That God has a different starting place, a better starting place for us to think about justice and suffering, particularly as Job has laid it out. Job and his friends realize they're not creators, they're recipients. They inherited the blessings of the earth. Things were already happening when they arrived. All the blessings of the earth were already available for them when they came on the scene. It was God that started this. And maybe God is bigger than they have been thinking. Books like Job invite us to ask deep questions and to stay in the arena of struggle. Are we willing to think deeply enough that we can see beyond the scope of our own lives and self-interest? Are we willing to enter the realm of these big questions about who is God and how does God work and where is God active and how can we discern the ways of God? Are you willing to face the vastness of time and space, the majesty and magnificence of God's creation and what that might mean about your own situation. It can be unsettling. It can create uncertainty in our lives. It can be overwhelming at times to ask hard, deep questions of life and of God. I saw it happen to my seminary classmates I'll never forget the day we were in our first Bible class. We had been in it for quite a while. We were working on the letters of Paul. Our New Testament professor was saying we cannot prove that all these letters come from Paul. Actually, such different content, linguistics sometimes. He suggested that maybe not all the letters we attribute to Paul that are in the Scriptures are actually written by Paul, maybe by a disciple of Paul or someone wanting to honor Paul. The fellow next to me didn't want to hear that question. He slammed his hand on the table and stood up and gathered his books and began to walk out of the class saying, if all these letters were not written by Paul, I don't know what I can believe. And never came back to class. 
or another student who by all accounts was brilliant but began to plagiarize her papers that we were to write and turn into our professors. When she was supposed to write about her own experience and her own life and how her theology informed that, the struggle to find more about who she was and what she believed and how she might express that in ministry and the possibility that she might not be perfect when she wrote was all too much. And so she began to borrow from others claiming that it was her own. It can be overwhelming to ask questions of God. It can be unsettling to look deeply at our faith and how it deals with all of life. In times like that, many people simply choose a smaller God, one that they can understand, perhaps control. Job and his friends are tending in that direction of trying to shrink God, to have a more manageable deity that they can predict what God will do at any given time and explain everything that people attribute to God. Gustavo Gutierrez was one of the early writers of liberation theology. He was a priest, a professor, a Bible scholar, an author. He served most of his ministry in the slums of Lima, Peru, he was one of the early writers of a strand of theology called Liberation Theology that was written from the context and the perspective of Central and South American, particularly those in extreme poverty and those suffering through war and violence. Gutierrez wrote a book he simply called On Job. In one chapter, he writes about what he calls the mysterious meeting of two freedoms. In that chapter, he discusses the meeting of God's freedom with human freedom. He says in the book of Job, Job starts with these questions. God changes the context of the questions and expands the questions to take in all of creation. And after talking about creation, then God gets to talking about suffering and justice. But Gutierrez says, we too must understand that first, we must have a foundation of understanding that God is the creator. And that God creates beauty and joy and majesty and wonder. And God creates or initiates all of this because God is love. Job's friends want a simpler, smaller God. More formulaic, if you will. If X happens, Y will happen. If A happens, God will do B. Where God is completely predictable and unchanging and unmoving in terms of human suffering. 
Gutierrez says it demonstrates a desire to shrink God or handcuff God rather than have a relationship with God. He says Job's friends want to talk about God. Job wants to talk to God. Let me read you a few sentences out of the book. Gutierrez says the main idea in the beginning was the gratuitousness of divine love. It was divine love, not retribution, which was the hinge on which the world turns. The speeches of God in Job say that God indeed has a plan, but it is not one that the human mind can grasp so as to make calculations based on it and foresee the divine action. God is free. God's love is a cause, not an effect from our actions. Then this, Gutierrez writes, God wants justice indeed and desires the divine judgment reign in the world, but God cannot impose it for the nature of created beings must be respected. God's power is limited by human freedom. For without freedom, God's justice would not be present within human history. Divine gratuitous love has been made the foundation of the world. And that only in light of this fact can the meaning of divine justice be grasped. We have to understand the love of God, Gutierrez is saying, if we hope to understand the justice of God. I think it's not too different than saying, think globally, act locally. Be sure your frame of reference is big enough when you're asking hard questions, when you're asking the deep questions. All this made me think about what Jesus says about rain and sun in the Sermon on the Mount. Because in parts of Job, God is talking about how God cares for all of creation and is raining even on places where there are no humans. Job is saying that God cares about humans, but God's love is not limited to humans, that God loves all of creation. Jesus, when he's talking to those who would listen in chapter 5 of Matthew, says these words. I'm going to start reading in verse 43 if you're following along. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even, do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or you could translate that, be perfect in love, therefore, or be mature in love, or be completed in love, therefore, just as your heavenly Father completely loves you. There's an order to all of this. It takes Job, the book of Job, a long time to get there. But it finally comes down to whether or not we believe that God loves us and that love is the foundation of the world. And beginning there, it says, is the place to start if we want to understand how God is at work in the world. Then in Matthew, after Jesus talks about the love of God just as the book of Job does, in a way, saying that God loves everybody, there comes the great challenge. Based on this understanding that God's love is for all, and it is this, to be like God and love those same enemies. To will the good for the enemy. It's not where most of us start when we identify someone as enemy. It's not usually where we start when we despise someone or get angry and oppose someone because they think differently or they voted differently or they express their love differently or they live different than we think is right. The challenge, though, is to understand God's love alive in our lives and then to share it with others. But Job is very clear. Justice and love are hard to hold together. Suffering and love are hard to hold together. Job asks, can we trust that God perhaps has a way that we cannot see, a way that we cannot yet comprehend? Job leaves us with deep questions. Amen. And thanks be to God.